Welcome, everyone, to episode 19 of the Throwdown Thursday podcast. 19, asshole! Yes, and uh, as uh, some of us know, the number 19 has a very, very deep significance to uh, to Stephen King and many of his works. Uh, my name, in case you uh, are just tuning in for the first time, is Patrick Rahal. I am also known as Patsy, the Angry Nerd. I am joined today by my partner in crime, my cohort, my co-conspirator. I have her fingerprints on a candlestick, just in case, Agent Nicole. Hello, everybody. Hope everyone's doing well. And I am sore as hell. That was a nice uh, little rhyming intro you got there. We are joined also by my better half, missing piece, my, uh, part, my second partner in crime, who is more of a partner than... A criminal, I suppose. That was awful. I know that was really awful. Thank you. I know. Second. (laughs) Well, in the podcasting community, the um, the divorce papers are on their way. I'm getting half your stuff. (laughs) I'll I'll be like Negan. Half your shit is mine. Uh, Yes, that is uh, Ashes von Nightmare. For those of you who are unfamiliar, hello guys. We are joined also by the producer extraordinaire. Johnny Wolfenstein. Hey, everybody. It's good to be here. Now, we have a very special guest on. We uh, do. He has appeared once before on our show, and so as a special guest, he gets a very special intro. He is the only person alive who knows the secret recipes for both Coca-Cola and the Colonel's Chicken. If he takes a day off from the gym, it's to give the weights a rest. He's so strong, his muscles have muscles, and his <laughs> muscles' muscles are bigger than your muscles. Freddy Krueger has nightmares of him, and Candyman will not say his name in a mirror. He is the voice from Talk Without Rhythm, the mighty El Goro. Everything you said is 100% accurate in your own mind. (laughs) (laughs) Most things are. (laughs) Seriously, man, you're building me up, and I'm just going to let everybody down. It's a terrible scene that you've set me up on. I don't think that's even remotely possible for anyone who has ever interacted with you or uh, (laughs) digitally or in real life. You give great hugs. Oh, I try. If you're going to hug somebody, you can't do that little side hug bullshit. you got to go. <laughs> oh, shit. And no, that was True. not a shot across the bow. <laughs> she gives great hugs. She does. Deserve it. I she do, does. She, she really she does. She gives give excellent hugs. hugs. Yeah, she does. I, I guess she doesn't like me. I get these weird side hugs. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're a very intimidating man, Wolfie. I mean, it, you don't know it from the voice, but if you see you, man, you're you're, you're this big, hairy guy. And, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Damn! <laughs> you do have a you do have a hell of a Samson-like ponytail today. There well, you go. Yeah, you know, hey. <laughs> if hey, cut- from, one, from one big hairy guy to another, we recognize our own. We are part of a bonded brotherhood of hairy men that Patrick used to be a part of, but then yes. he shaved his beard. Yeah. It's coming in nicely, you. though. It, it, it is. is. I see it that. It is. It's, it's coming back, so... Thank God. Yes. First, I know. It's really weird. <laughs> the first the- time I met El Goro, I picked, I picked him up because he was coming yep. to be on uh, Trick or Treat Radio, and we just nodded at each other. That's it. We didn't talk the whole way. We just nodded. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> but that nod said everything. Yes. <laughs> I'm concerned, though, if Jesse does cut his hair. Uh, not Jesse. Jesse who? who? Uh, Jesse James? Yeah. yeah he's, he, Jesse he, James. Yeah, he's awesome. If he cuts his hair, you know, I don't really care. But if... Uh, <laughs> Mr. Wolfenstein were to cut his hair, he would uh, he would lose his mighty podcasting producing powers. So yeah, it's his, keep... it's his hair of Samson, man. Yes. <laughs> well, we might have to put that to the test soon. 
Uh oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do what I do: grow a beard. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to do the beard comb over. So. Oh, nice. <laughs> a- ashes. Uh, are you okay with this? Well, it's either beard or back hair. Yeah. <laughs> what you do is you just let it grow to the point that you can kind of weave it into your chest hair. Ooh, yeah. Well, you got to make there sure you your neck is in a comfortable position first. Nah. <laughs> hey, look up there. What? Ah! Just ripped off my chest hair. <laughs> Walking around like Batman. Yeah. Can't move the entire body <laughs> instead of moving your neck. Ugh. <laughs> uh. We're off to a good start, aren't we? Yes. <laughs> we, we Talking like about hair, fun. haircuts. Oh, speaking of haircuts, uh, Agent Nicole, you just uh, got your hair cut I off. did. It looks adorable. I love it. Thank you. I'm still trying to get over the shock of how short that person cut it. Well, it's not as short as mine. Oh, that's true. This is true. That is true. <laughs> and at least you still have yours. Yes, I that's still a plus. have. It'll grow within like a month, so. Yeah, mine will too. It just won't be noticeable. It looks lovely. Thanks. I appreciate that. Well, uh, what we're going to do today is we are going to talk about a uh, a character that maybe not a lot of people are familiar with, but uh, I know at least two people in this uh, in this podcasting uh, today thing. You are failing. <laughs> I did wow. not sleep much last night, uh, but that's not really an excuse. I never do. Um, at least two of us are uh, very familiar with, and uh, I, I have a feeling you guys are going to do most of the talking, <laughs> and that is, of course, the Sorcerer Supreme, Dr. Stephen Strange. Yay! But be- yes. Before we get into that, now, Elgora, you're, uh, you're fairly familiar with our show. You've listened a couple of times. Oh, yeah. So, are you ready for your five getting into character questions? I don't know, man. On the last episode, you were talking about how much you were anticipating this, so I'm, I'm a little worried, but all right, let's do it. All right, so as uh, if you're familiar with Elgoro at all, you know that occasionally, if he can find the time, uh, he might watch a movie or two. Yeah, sporadically. Um, so I'd like to know, what is your least favorite film? Least favorite film... Uh, that one's hard because even some of the real, truly terrible films I've ever seen, they'll generally have one little gem of um, quality about them. Mm. Trying to think of a film that I would never return to under any circumstances. <sighs> Fuck it, Transformers Two. That movie blows. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. That's one of the that's one of the few films that I actually felt a visceral contempt whilst watching. <laughs> Other films, you know, you can kind of uh, just sort of disconnect, or he's like, "All right, this is boring." Uh, that was the only film, and I love big dumb action movies, but the only film I can think of that just made me pissed the fuck off while I was watching it. Devastator had balls. Yeah, that was awful. <laughs> I'm directly beneath the enemy scrotum. Like, what a uh-huh. waste of John Turturro. Well, and that's the, that's the part that really pisses me off, because I love John Turturro, and that movie made me hate him. <laughs> it's like, how the how the fuck do you do that, Michael Bay? That's John fucking Turturro. It's because it's Michael Bay. Uh, see, but I, I don't even extend it to all of Michael Bay's movies, because I think he does make the occasional entertaining film. I'm a fan of The Rock. Armageddon was yeah. overblown and ridiculous, but it yeah. still had its fun moments. And even the first Transformers, whilst not great, was not nearly as bad as the second one. Yeah, well, there's something about seeing, you know, li- seeing Optimus Prime and hearing Peter Cullen's voice come out of that face. Like, that was sure. pretty awesome. Of course, I was of the opinion that there was one partic- scene in particular in the first Transformers movie that just 
tip or exemplified all the problems that I had with it because they re- redid one of the classic lines from the mm-hmm. first Transformers film. You know, one will stand, one will fall. And in the animated movie, when that line was delivered, it was showing you know two shots of uh, Optimus Prime and, and Prime and Megatron where they're getting ready to throw down with each other. And that's exactly where it should be. Now, that line still occurred during a confrontation between the two characters in the Transformers film, but the camera was on Shia LaBeouf crawling through the wreckage, which just exemplified everything wrong with that film, that despite it being a movie about big, giant robots, the focus was way too much on idiotic human characters. Exactly. That and the action sequences look like a bunch of scrap metal thrown into a rock tumbler. That's pretty accurate. Yeah, I say agreed. <clears throat> agreed. I have strong opinions. <laughs> and that's why we're asking you these hard-hitting questions. Now, there you go. Here's a here's a good one, and this is something that I was wondering about because I find it hard enough to pick a, a an appropriate phone ringtone. <laughs> now, if you could pick any sound, any any you know snippet of a song, what would be your ideal doorbell chime? My ideal doorbell chime? Yeah. Um, okay, the uh, Tibetan horns that were used in Hellraiser 2. Because Ooh. in Hellraiser 2, there was a sequence where they revealed Leviathan, the great god of the labyrinth, the mm. god of the Cenobites, which was just this huge geometric figure. And if you listen really closely to the score, you can hear these deep, sonorous horns that are actually Tibetan horns. As a fun little bit of trivia, the notes that they are bleeding out is actually the Morse code for God. Yes. Which is very awesome. So I'd I, go with that. Excellent. Yeah, that's a hell of a choice. I would, I personally Quite literally. Would, I, yeah. <laughs> I would, uh, I personally would go with the uh, Vincent Price laugh at the end of the Thriller video. Very nice. Which I sampled that in my 31 days. Nice. I haven't gotten yep. to all of those yet. I'm working through them. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Um, cast a remake of any movie. Oh, God damn it. Um, <clears throat> let me think. It'd have to be a movie that I think would stand up to a remake. And. Man, this is hard. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to come up with some good ones for you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for, for what it's worth, this is, this is a good question. Um, let me think. Let me try to think of a, of a film and that could do well for a recasting. Jesus, man, I'm pulling a blank. <laughs> well, it doesn't even have to be something that you think would do well at the studio. Just like, you know, one of your favorite films, like, how would you recast yeah, sure. it? Like, you know, I'm a fan of The Magnificent Seven, and I kind of dig the new casting that they that they put out with. Yeah, sure. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to flip the script on you a little bit, okay. just because I'm struggling to think of something, and dead air is the death of, of podcasting. And one of the things I like to do is uh, fantasy casting. The idea that if you were to take a property and make a film of it at any point in history, what you would have ended up with. Okay. And one of the favorite things that I like to think of is if they had made a Doctor Strange movie in the 60s or 70s when the comic was new and was coming out, mm-hmm. I think that Christopher Lee would have made the absolute perfect oh. Doctor Strange, particularly if you ever see the Hammer film The Devil Rides Out, where he is essentially playing an occult expert, he uh, does spells, and he is awesome. If you just do a Google search of Christopher Lee and The Devil Rides Out, he even has Doctor Strange's facial hair. He would have been perfect. Yeah, well, there's very few things Christopher Lee couldn't do. Exactly. Uh, yeah, that's a that's an excellent choice. 
Okay, um, question number four. Now, we, we know that you are in uh, fantastic uh, peak physical human uh, shape. Bullshit. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Not my throat there. And I'm, I imagine that, you know, you do a lot of uh, healthy, clean eating. So my question is, if there was one food that would have zero negative dietary impacts on you, <laughs> what food would it be? Oh, hell. Um, probably big German sausages. Okay. I could eat those all day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, just, I, I, I love the look of them. I love holding them in my hands. I love running my tongue down. Oh, wait, sorry. We're getting a little far afield there. But, yeah, I'd go with those. I don't know just if I'd pork, pick that. They're the worst. Pork in general, I would go oh. with that. Any kind of uh, salted pork. Okay. Fair enough. You know, going back to the Viking roots there. Or the Germanic, yeah. Um, all right, so your final question. This one may be the toughest. If El Goro was a superhero, I'm mm-hmm. not going to ask you what your powers would be, but I am going to ask how you came by those powers. Would it be a mutation? Would it be some sort of uh, magical endowment? Or would it be some sort of scientific experiment? I like the idea of endowment, uh, but uh, <laughs> I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with the uh, found mystical artifact trope Excellent. on that one. And in this case, it would be my uh, trademark luchador mask. I found it in a cave, and it, it granted me all the powers of a long line of El Goros. Nice. Oh, that was. Uh those are some excellent answers to uh, some really inane questions. So <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. Anytime. So, uh, why don't you tell the folks a little bit about uh, you know what it is that you do and where they could uh, where they could maybe find you and hear more of your your lovely golden voice. If I must. Well, I do a weekly podcast about movies called Talk Without Rhythm. Every week I select two to three films that are in some way tied together, whether they be sequels, whether it's a thematic tie, whether it's a loose tangential tie that only makes sense to me and I have to spend 15 minutes explaining. But, uh, yeah, I do that podcast. I've been doing it for coming up on seven years now. And by the time this episode drops, I would have ended up my Halloween coverage which consists of a bunch of horror films that I did as part of my regular episodes. The most recent one would have been a discussion of Rob Zombie's Halloween and his follow-up Halloween 2, which I did with my very lovely girlfriend, Stephanie Wiley. And in addition to all of that, during October, I also do my 31 Days of Halloween, where I select 31 horror films that I've never seen. Watch one a day and record a brief podcast discussing about them. Discussing them. Uh, this was the seventh time that I've done this. I've managed to keep it going year after year, and it's always a lot of fun, though occasionally it can be quite draining. This year, the theme was 90s horror because there exists a thread of conversation within the horror community that the decade of the 90s was a weak period for history. And I wanted to try to challenge that. I mean, I can name plenty of 90s horror films that I had seen in the past that I think are contenders for any decade. But I wanted to see if I could gather up 31 that I hadn't seen and see how they really stack up. And so far, I've discovered quite a few interesting films that a lot of horror fans kind of sleep on. They don't get a whole lot of conversation, and I think they're deserving of that. And there were some terrible films, like the sci-fi channel version of Stephen King's Trucks. But, you know, as a horror fan, we take the good with the bad. (laughs) Which is sad, because I love the short story Trucks. Oh, yeah. It may be one of my favorite. Uh, I mean, for me, it's right up there with, like, The Raft. Mm -hmm. Um, But... 
Yeah, and two two at bats with that, including one adaptation that was actually directed by Stephen King, and they still haven't managed to pull it off. Well, I mean, you know, when you have a a, a truck with the face of the Green Goblin on it, I mean, sure, come on, pick a pick a little more recognizable villain, you know, not one you know brought to the screen by James Franco. There you go. I mean, between at, at the end of the day, though, both of those adaptations, Maximum Overdrive and Trucks, they do have small moments that sort of redeem them. Maximum Overdrive had that Green Goblin truck mm-hmm. and a soundtrack entirely consistent of ACDC with uh, Stephen King doing a cameo of, hey, this ATM just called me an asshole. <laughs> yeah, that, that was and, a good uh, part. And Trucks had an old man being bludgeoned to death by a remote-controlled truck. So, you know, it's a wash. Yeah, no, I'll give that to you. That's that's pretty good. Yeah, I I, uh, I kind of stagnated on my thirty-one days. I only got, I think I have like eleven films at, at the time of this recording. So, <laughs> and we have two more days until Halloween. So yeah, have fun fitting all those in, man. Yeah, well, that's the plan for the rest of the weekend. Is just horror movies. So who needs sleep? That is, yeah, that is <laughs> yeah, my who plan. Who does that? Yeah. <laughs> That is definitely my plan for tomorrow. I got a bunch of friends coming over, and we are just going to eat candy, eat uh, General Mills monster cereal and pizza, and pretend we're not actually adults, and we're just going to watch a bunch of Halloween films. Nice. That sounds like the best plans ever. It is. I always do one of these marathons every year, but this is the first time I've actually invited people, so I guess I'm growing as a human being. (laughs) I know. I I saw that up on the... uh up on the old face space there and i was like i immediately like went to google maps and tried to see how far it would be and how long it would take yeah just under nine hours yeah he's like do you want to go for a nine hour car ride i was like with you no (laughs) i've done that drive i got a buddy who lives in bell ricca and we used to go out there every new year's to visit with them in fact that was the first time i ever met wolfie and mars was when i was visiting that guy but uh that that drive is no fun in during a blizzard Ooh, I'll tell yeah. you that. Ooh, yeah, definitely not. And New York sucks on their toll roads. They they're cash only. Backward savages. Yeah, sons of bitches. That's all right. <laughs> Out here, everybody's going to have to have a transponder because they're getting rid of all the toll booths and they're just putting up like these weird. Uh, well, they've already put them up, but they they have these weird like uh, cameras and stuff yeah, they like kind of look like cameras, but they like read your transponder and like automatically bill you as you're driving down the road. Kind of like those easy passes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. But they're, like, taking it to the next step. Hmm. I wonder if they can tie it into your phone. That seems like the next step, right? That's true, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I I don't know how any of this shit works. But uh, I think what we're going to go ahead and do is we're going to take a quick break. And, uh, you know, when we come back, we will uh, begin our discussion on uh, Doctor Strange. So, Wolfie, when you are ready, let's uh, take a break. One dark and stormy night in the mid-80s, Joe Bob Briggs, Harlan Ellison, and the ghost of El Santo pulled a train on Elvira while Siskel and Ebert sobbingly masturbated in the corner. From that union arose the greatest movie critic and luchador that ever lived. We're not going to talk about him. He's kind of a dick. Instead, we're going to talk about me, El Goro, the stuttering movie fan and host of the Talk Without Rhythm podcast. Every week on Talk Without Rhythm, I discuss two to three movies tangentially tied together by a theme. I cover action. And the most complete fighter in the world. Sci-fi. Open the pod bay doors, Hell. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. 
horror. Oh, no tears, please. It's a waste of good suffering. And the continuing adventures of James Spader, sexual deviant. You're not worried that I'm going to fuck you, are you? I'm not interested in that, and I'm waste. Now pull up your skirt. So check me out at TWORpodcast.blogspot.com, drunkenzombie.com, or subscribe on iTunes. Talk Without Rhythm, the only podcast that will not attract the world. Adios! And we have returned. El Goro, how you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. I got my coffee flowing. Uh, caffeine is uh, coursing through my veins, and I'm ready to talk about some Doctor Strange. All right. Yeah, we all stopped to get coffee on the way in, too, because there's no way in hell we're going to even... And you can hear, like, half the shit that I'm saying doesn't make any goddamn sense anyways. Let me guess. You stopped at the Dunkin' Donuts. No. no. We actually... Oh! We went to Cumbies. <laughs> we did not get Chug Jugs full of coffee, but... <laughs> Wait a minute. Gumby's? I got hot chocolate. Is that, is that Gumby's porn name? <laughs> <laughs> and Pokey didn't change his name at all. Not at all. Unless it, unless he uh, modified it to Pokey. Ooh. Oh. Gumby and Pokey. Do it. Well, I think he was a... Look uh, it, Wolfie. I think he was the uh, <laughs> recipient, so it was Pokey with two E's at the end. Ah, I see. I like that better. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, no, he, do- he doesn't strike me as a bottom. No. Uh, well, I hear he's hung like a horse, though. Oh. So you definitely don't want him as the bottom, man. No. you got to employ that talent. That is that is 100% accurate. <laughs> All right, so before we go further down this rabbit hole, uh, I <laughs> which I believe was one of his movies, uh, yeah, hey. we are going to talk today about a, uh, a character in the Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, that drops today. Uh, the new movie, uh, Doctor Strange, who is portrayed in this instance by Benedict Cumberbunch, <laughs> who looks a lot like an otter. Humperdinck Bindersnatch? Yes. Um, and, you know, we were we were watching a little bit earlier today. Patrick, do you say his name uh, wrong on purpose, or you, do you just... Oh, like, I give him evil just, glares I, when he does. I, I'm I like, don't insult say him. Because like it's hard not to say that after the song. After, I say it like that because of the song. Right. I always say it like that because I feel of like the song. He, but he said it he he has said it so many times that it's just kind of like ingrained mm-hmm. into his psyche now. So yeah. he just he sees Benedict Cumberbatch and he's like, Oh look, it's Benedict Cumberbunch and I'm like, Okay. I yes. guess. <laughs> Yeah, you leave Benadryl chicken strips alone. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's funny. We were talking earlier today because uh, this is a character that, you know, I am... Like, I know who he is. I know a little bit of his backstory. Um, but I don't really know him in depth. And, Ashes, you were uh, completely unfamiliar. I know absolutely nothing about this character. And to be honest, the only reason that I'm interested in this character is because I am a fan of Benedict Cumberbatch. See, now I'm going <laughs> to <laughs> Now you got when? me saying it. 
<laughs> Benedict Cumberbatch. Um, I'm I'm a fan of of his acting. I think he will do a an excellent job with this. So, and Tilda Swinton is in it, and mm-hmm. she's mm-hmm. just amazing. So I'm I'm very excited to see the movie. Yeah. Um, and we watched a a short little video, and um, there's a YouTube channel I follow called Comics Explained. And the guy does a really good job of like getting into uh, the different characters, you know, of the different you know comic universes. And I think uh, they're very informative, especially for someone who doesn't know a lot about them. So, you know, we watched that video today. Yeah. Uh, in, in in doing some prep, but uh, Agent Nicole, you came up. Uh, you told us a, a a fun fact about this gentleman. Did I? Oh, yes. yes. About who the. <laughs> character is I am not awake. I'm sorry. Um, Agent Nicole did good. I know. I know. Um, yeah, so in 1965 is when we get the experience of Doctor Strange in the Stranger Tales, I believe, in 119. And his real name is Stephen Vincent Strange, and he is based off of Vincent Price. That's the fact that I gave you this morning. I dropped some knowledge on you. Yeah, and I had I had no idea. And I well, he has the aesthetics of <laughs> Vincent Price, so I have uh, some corrections on that. I'm oh. very sorry. Oh no, don't worry. It's all right. <laughs> I know I'm going to get schooled. It's all good. All right. Uh, his appearance was in Strange Tales 110, oh, which came out in 1963. Did I say Stranger and, Things? Uh, no. You <laughs> said, oh, okay. I'm sorry. Things. I kept thinking I'm uh, saying you said Stranger Tales, which is oh. perfectly legit, especially as the series went along. It, things definitely got a lot more stranger yeah. as Steve Ditko started experimenting with his art style. Mm-hmm. And while yes, I definitely see that Vincent Price thing and uh, talk about fantasy casting. Vincent Price would have killed it oh, as Doctor Strange in one of his appearances. But another uh, kind of precursor to Doctor Strange was a character that was kind of drawn from the pulp serials at the time uh, called Shandu the the Magician, which is definitely worth uh, checking out, especially since uh, a young Bela Lugosi appeared in those films, once as the villain in a very Baron Mordo-esque character, and then later in the sequel, I believe The Return of Shandu, where he actually played the magician himself. Nice. Um, so what got you into Doctor Strange, Algoro? What When was the first time you've experienced him? And tell us a story about that. Okay. Well, the first exposure I would have had to Doctor Strange and most of the extended Marvel Universe outside of people like the X-Men and Spider-Man, the big mm-hmm. hitters of the Marvel Universe, was a crossover that came out in 1993 called The Infinity Crusade which was one of the various spin-offs of the Infinity Gauntlet. Because mm-hmm. you had the Gauntlet, you had the Infinity War, and then you had the Infinity Crusade. And I remember distinctly, it was right when my mother had gotten remarried to my stepfather. She remains married to him to this day. And he was vital in my development as a comic book fan. Mm-hmm. Um, the story I like to tell is that he and his brothers collected pretty much every comic book that was ever released from Marvel and DC from roughly 1968 all the way up to 1985, 86, 87. So we, I had access to all of those books growing up as a kid. And my stepdad was really... Uh, thought it was important for me to get into comic books and he picked me up the first couple issues of infinity crusade because he in his mind it was a good way to introduce me to all of these characters 
So that would have been the first real exposure I had to Doctor Strange, even though he didn't have the biggest, biggest role in that crossover because it was just too huge. But my later explorations came from delving into my stepfather's comic book collection, most notably a digest-sized reprint of a bunch of Doctor Strange comics, including his earliest appearances in Strange Tales. When I say digest size, one of the reprints they would do is they would uh, take the old books and then reprint them in something that was basically the size of a paperback book. Mm-hmm. So everything was shrunk down, but it was a great way to you know, get a bunch of stories all in one, especially since he didn't have access to those original issues. That's awesome. That's a great explanation. Um now I'm blanking on what I was going to say. That's okay. I, <laughs> I'm I, sorry. I, I got something. Um, now, when you were talking about the uh, the artwork of Steve Ditko, um, mm-hmm. for folks who are not uh, overly familiar with you know his style, uh, especially for Doctor Strange, um, want to give them a little bit of background about <clears throat> you know the different uh, the different techniques and styles and and aesthetics that he used uh, sure. when doing Doctor Strange. Well, Ditko is definitely one of the most integral and important comic book artists in the history of the medium. Yes. And his collaborations with Stan Lee, basically at Marvel at this time, you had the big two, in my opinion, of Ditko and Jack Kirby. And what Ditko really brought to the table in his versions of Doctor Strange and his versions of Nick Fury, I believe he was also drawing. I could be mistaken on that. But he brought a much more of a pop art sensibility because comics back to this point were all very samey. I mean, there was the dedicated Marvel house style that they even encouraged new artists coming on to sort of emulate, essentially saying, hey, look at the way Kirby does it. Try to do it like that because that's the aesthetic we're embracing. Ditko kind of went against that. He broke down a lot of the traditional nine-panel layouts. He would embrace these very bizarre, serialistic landscapes that led themselves very, very nicely to the weird dimensions that Doctor Strange was going in. And he is kind of overlooked amongst some people, but certainly he gets appreciation from a lot of artists for sort of exploding the potential of what the medium could be. And just those levels of experimentation, which carried on to even this day, you have people that are kind of following in the in the footsteps of what Ditko p- sort of pioneered during this period. Yeah, because that, that stuff, I mean, <clears throat> it was almost like an LSD trip without actually having to ingest the drug itself. Definitely. Yeah. So, Agent Nicole, did you come up with your question? No, I'm still trying to think of it. I'm sorry. (laughs) It's been a long couple of days. Oh, you're good. Um, We're we're just having a conversation about something. I know. I'm more more familiar with Doctor Strange as what's happening now with the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the new comics. Have you been reading any of the new comics, El Goro? Unfortunately not. I fell off uh, reading monthlies a couple of years back, mm-hmm. and unfortunately I haven't been able to follow other than occasionally checking in on the big uh, crossover events they are doing. Yeah. So you definitely will have a better <laughs> sense of where Doctor Strange is now yep. as opposed to me. Okay. That, that will work out. We'll figure, <clears throat> we'll find a balance. But um, I did think of something. I know that they've been trying to do a Doctor Strange film for years. And they came out with one, I believe, in the 80s. I, I might be wrong, maybe early 90s. Am I right? Wrong? 
there was a made-for-TV version yes. of Doctor Strange, which came out in, uh, what was it? It was 1978, which was a live-action TV movie. Mm-hmm. And I believe it was intended to be, uh, don't quote me on this, but I believe it was intended to be kind of a backdoor pilot. Yeah. Kind of so- sort of uh, capitalizing on the success of Bill Bixby, Lou Ferrigno's Incredible Hulk. Mm-hmm. So it had uh, Peter Hooten in it. Yeah. And uh, it gets a lot of crap. Uh, because you look at it and he's got that gigantic porn sash and, you know, the white guy perm and it looks very, very 70s. And it is. But if you if you go back and watch it, especially if you have a uh, a taste for 70s television, which I certainly do, you know, stuff like uh, Kolchak the Night Stalker and the original Incredible Hulk, it's a fun little thing. And I would it would have been interesting to see them expand it out into a series. It's not comics accurate i believe he is a psychiatrist instead of a surgeon but it's fun for what it is yeah i mean i i think that uh the whole you know a lot of people because a lot of people don't know who dr strange is you know because there's been limited uh limited exposure to him you know he's not a hulk or or you know a spider-man or a batman or a superman you know, he's not one of, like, the the heavy hitters, but he's so integral to so many different storylines. Like, even the original uh, Infinity Gauntlet storyline, how important he was to everything that was going on. Um, I mean, he's the first guy the Silver Surfer went to see, you mm-hmm. know, when he found out what, what was going on with Thanos, so... Now, one of the things that I was very excited about for this film, and... Uh, Tell me what you think there, uh, El Goro, is the casting of Chiwetel Ejiofor as Baron Mordo? Mm, yeah, definitely. It was an interesting choice. Um, I love Chiwetel Ejiofor, and I think that he's going to bring a, a very good component to the Mordo character, particularly since Mordo, as originally presented, was just a very thin villain. And whilst they've done some expansion on him in the past... I like the the sort of approach that they're taking with him. That for people that are completely unfamiliar with the strange uh, story, they're they're setting him up to be that a uh, uh, beginning ally, and then setting up the eventual turn for him. I don't think that's necessarily spoilers because again, we're talking about 50, 50 60 years plus of comic book history, right. and his name is Mordo. That doesn't sound like a good guy's name. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like you know in the, the Green Lantern movie, it's like. Oh, you look like the devil and your name is Sinestro? I bet you'll turn out to be a good guy. Right. <laughs> um, do you think, and, I, and this is something that actually just popped into my head as you were speaking, do you think that, uh, you know, I know you're familiar with the, the Infinity Gauntlet storyline, do you think mm-hmm. that maybe Baron Mordo is being set up to take the place of the Mephisto role uh, in Thanos' Rise to Power? Uh, it's hard to say. Uh, they may not engage with that sort of thing, because in the comic books, it was easy enough to sort of blend the co- the various cosmic powers of the Marvel Universe because there was an established history with them. Mm-hmm. You know, Jim Starlin had been blending the lines between space cosmic and metaphysical cosmic and all of these different elements. And I don't think that that sort of approach would work as well in the movies just because there's not the same kind of grounding for it. And Thanos by himself will be a powerful enough entity that they don't necessarily have to draw in too many of those other cosmic entities to make it work. It'd be interesting for them to do it, 
And I still think that they're kind of setting up Dormammu in this Doctor Strange film, yes. especially with the appearance of Mad Mikkel- Mads Mikkelsen as Caecilius, who in the comics was basically Mordo's henchman, but was very tied into uh, one of the big Dormammu Mordo Strange stories, the Eternity Saga. So I have a feeling because we see we just see little bits of Mads in the trailer and he see, he appears to have that darkening around the eyes and he's letting off this purplish energy. Mm-hmm. I have a feeling that he's channeling the powers of Dormammu, one of the various evil cosmic entities that uh, Doctor Strange routinely fights. And that's a pretty good surrogate for Mephisto. OK, so I'm OK with them doing going that way if they decide to go that route. Yes, yeah, it's just I'm trying to figure out like. You know, wasn't Matt the Mads character in the the new Doctor Strange? Wasn't his character like like the apprentice of the ancient one? And like, uh, is that what I, I read something about that? I wasn't sure if that's true or not. At least in the original comics, Caecilius was Mordo's apprentice, and okay. Mordo in of himself was used to be the apprentice of the ancient one. And he's not a big character. I mean, he mm-hmm. has little side roles, so he's pretty much just Mordo's henchman. Yep. So I have a feeling they're definitely going to be expanding him out um, in the context of the film. Okay. Which works. I mean, it's, it's it, what it feels like to me is it, it, it feels like they're taking some of the early history of Mordo, the mm-hmm. person who betrayed the Ancient One, yeah. and then applying it to Caecilius. Mm-hmm. Um, whether or not it's going to be revealed that Mordo was really pulling the strings the whole time, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, see, I'm, I'm, the only slight concern I have for this film is if they decide that they're going to really be true to the comics... Because Doctor Strange's backstory is very similar to that of uh, Mr. Tony Stark, where he's this brilliant uh, surgeon who cares very little about other people and uh, really is just interested in making as much money as possible. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, he suffers his catastrophic uh, car accident and loses the use of his hands. Yeah, and... And then you know, demands that the Ancient One fix him magically because he doesn't want to wait and take the time to, you know, be healed or, you know, maybe his he's not going to be healed in the traditional sense where he's not going to be able to maintain his, you know, playboy lifestyle. And, you know, that's very similar to what we've already seen in the Iron Man films. Mm-hmm. And what I, what I think is interesting, in, in, at least com- in comparison between the two characters, is that whilst they both have humbling experiences and they both be- decide to refocus their lives towards the pursuit of good, mm-hmm. Tony returns to his Playboy lifestyle. Yeah. He still holds on to a lot of those elements. Whereas one of the key points about Doctor Strange is that he's constantly being humbled. He's mm-hmm. one of the most powerful entities that exists within the Marvel Universe, but the scale of the conflicts that he is fighting is so far beyond even his abilities most of the time. Mm-hmm. So it's an interesting counterpoint to Tony that both, whilst they both start off very similar and they both experience tragedy, it's what they decide to do with them. And in a sense, uh, Stephen Strange is much more of a traditionally good, noble character as opposed to Tony because he does devote himself entirely to this conflict. He gives up a lot of his old arrogance, a lot of his old lifestyle, and becomes a much more focused and, in some cases, self-sacrificing character. And it's one of the things that I find very fascinating about him, that if you look at his pursuit or his uh, 
journey through the Marvel Universe that very rarely will we have a consistently running Doctor Strange story because he doesn't fit very well into the traditional superhero mold. When he's written the best way, he's this character that exists on the periphery for most Marvel superheroes because as dangerous as characters like Ultron, as dangerous as characters like the Masters of Evil and all of those traditional villains are to the world – Doctor Strange's focus is much bigger. His job is to protect our entire dimension. Mm-hmm. And so there's there's so many stories where he'll pop up or people will go to him and it's like, hey, we need your help because you're super powerful. And he comes off as cold saying, well, I can't help you. Little do those people realize that the reason he can't help you is because the Marvel equivalent of Cthulhu is about to break through and destroy everything. And that's where Doctor Strange's focus really is. Yeah, it's almost like the uh, the analog of you know, the the defenders, where the defenders will take care of, you know, it's too tough for, like, cops or maybe military, but not quite dangerous enough to bring the Avengers in. You know, so you have this, like, you know, B-team of heroes that can go in and take care of things. (laughs) Which I find fascinating that that's the way that Marvel has decided to go with it in their cinematic universe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because the original Defenders was Doctor Strange, the Hulk... Namor and Silver Surfer, yeah. four of the biggest, <laughs> heaviest hitters in the Marvel Universe. Right. And it was basically Doctor Strange forming this team of guys that absolutely hated each other, with the exception of Silver Surfer, who just was, you know, they were exploring. Everybody. Yeah. Yeah. He, he was the ultimate, ultimate uh, paragon of what we should all aspire to. But they were supposed to be the biggest, heaviest hitters. These were the people that Doctor Strange recruited from time to time in order to deal with these sorts of threats. And which is why I, I love, always love the Defenders, especially the rotating roster. For the longest time, the Defenders was known as the team that had the most people that were ever associated with it ever. Because they were, it was essentially Doctor Strange's brainchild. It was, I'm going to grab the exact right people to do the exact right thing. They may not understand what they're doing or why they're doing, but it all makes sense to me in order to protect this entire dimension. Yeah, and it's it's funny how like, you know, while they're keeping the spirit of this in the in the cinematic universe, you know, I think it's really just a way to find, you know, uh basically to fill time between the movies. Yeah. But there's And also it's Go ahead. I was going to say, they're still introducing some really interesting characters that, again, people aren't overly familiar with and kind of, like, bring them to the forefront. Like, hey, you know, you may not have heard of, you know, Iron Fist, but he's pretty damn cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think the other the other side of it, and this is just simply from a more cynical perspective, but the Defenders is a damn cool name. So... If you're going to bring in these street-level characters, you could do worse for branding purposes than calling them the Defenders. See, I always thought that Defenders was a much better name than Avengers, because the Defenders, it's like, you know, I'm going to defend you. I'm going to prevent things from happening. The Avengers is like, oh, shit already happened? Well... We'll get back at him for you. <laughs> well, but, but on the other hand, that does kind of speak to the nature of superheroes because hu- superheroes in their very nature are sort of reactionary, right? Mm-hmm. You know, a threat arises, they address it. It's when superheroes start becoming proactive where they start trying to actively prevent these sorts of things that you run into all of those uh, alternate storylines where, you know, the Justice League becomes the Justice Lords. You know, we want our superheroes to defend us, but we don't necessarily want them to uh, 
proactively take down bad guys. Like Batman with the Mobius chair. Right, exactly. Yeah, because then at that point, you know, you're not you're not a hero anymore. Now you're the villain. It's like the entire Injustice storyline. Oh, sure. And that's one of the things that makes Doctor Strange an interesting character because he does often operate on that level. And in the course of his history, there have been things that he's done that other superheroes will question. You know, whether it be his refusal to act in certain situations or his backing of certain people that are cons- that other uh, heroes would consider evil. For example, his various interactions with Doctor Doom. Because he recognizes that sometimes in order to defend the entire entirety of existence, you have to sort of step beyond the simple notion of morality. Yeah, like, I know you're a bad guy, but you have the exact skill set that I need, you know, to combat this particular threat. And I think that's something that Doctor Strange is so good at, mm-hmm. you know, because of his uh, vast knowledge of of you know everything that's going on not just on earth but like on you know different planets like throughout the you know reality mm-hmm. in a sense you know he has a a very good relationship with a lot of these cosmic entities like eternity yeah well he's one of the few mortals that could actually talk to them right because of his you know vast amount of power which is you know a, a lot of people because they haven't heard of him they're like oh doctor strange ah oh, that guy sucks <laughs> You know, and it's like, eh, no, uh, I mean, like, um, he's he's pretty freaking awesome. Um, now, we were discussing this uh, on the way over, and, you know, obviously this film is a, a lead-in to the, uh, the, uh, the Infinity, Infinity, Gaul. Infinity Gaul. Wars. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, there is uh, a lot of rumor and speculation going around that... Um, Doctor Strange is in possession of one of the uh, Infinity Stones in his Mm -hmm. necklace of the Eye of Agamotto. And the reason they're referring to this is, uh, thus far, what we have seen in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, it seems that the Infinity Gems are spelling out Thanos' name. Okay. So the Tesseract is is one. Yeah. then there's the ether, of course, spelled with an A, which would be the reality gem. Then there is the orb from uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, and the scepter, which had the the mind gem in it. So that's you know T A. There's uh, an H in his name. I know. Well, they're saying that it could be Heimdall, but we're not talking about Heimdall today. Okay. But they're saying that it could be in his necklace, which would be the N in Thanos. So, do you, uh, you know, based on what you've seen, do you believe that he potentially has one of the uh, one of the gems in his uh, amulet? That well, I mean, that would certainly be in keeping with the paradigm that they've established within these films. It's definitely a departure from the comic books, where the Eye yeah. of Agamotto is its own incredibly powerful mystic artifact with its origins separate from the Infinity Stone, as far as, as, far as I'm remembering. Um, but it would certainly make sense in the context of the Marvel Universe, where all of these big uh, supernatural MacGuffins 
are tied into the Infinity Stone. And there's the, there is an interesting sort of balance and a synchronicity towards that that I could certainly see that interpretation. Yeah, I mean, it's just you know something we were we were talking about, and I, I I'm with you. I think it's uh, perfectly reasonable, and it's a uh, it's one of those things that will drive comic book nerds crazy. Sure, but because he's not a, a super well known character, they can kind of get away with that. Yeah, and again, it's one of those that when you're adapting something, you have to have an eye towards the cohesiveness of the universe you're creating. And if you've previously established that there exist these things that can fundamentally change and have a huge impact on reality, and every one of those things is tied into the Infinity Stones, then it would totally make sense to integrate Doctor Strange into that storyline by having it him in possession of one. Yeah, and and again, I agree with that. Um, I think it's a nice touch, to be honest with you, because um, you know, again, people aren't overly familiar with you know the backstory and even some of the powers. Like, I I would be very uh, I would be very happy if they mentioned that uh, you know the different powers and and mystical properties that he is able to kind of tap into. You know, even if it's just like you know a nod to you know like. He can uh, tap into, you know, the powers of Sidorak, the, the Crimson Bands of Sidorak. You know, that would be kind of cool, you know, just like, oh, I know that. That's that's Juggernaut, you know, like, yeah. you know, stuff for, for guys like us that are like, oh, yeah, I, I know that word. I know what that means. Like, that's so cool. By the hoary hosts of Hoggoth. Yes. I want him to say that at least once. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I dig the, the scene where it's like... Uh, uh, Baron Mordo hands him the, the paper and it says Shambhala and he goes, Is this my mantra? He goes, No, it's the Wi Fi password. <laughs> right. Like that's a nice little nod. It know? is. And it'll be interesting to see how they portray magic in this because one common complaint that gets leveled against Doctor Strange is that there are very few times where they're consistent on what he can and can't do. On a basic level, he has a certain uh, set of abilities. He can fly, he can project energy bolts, he can go into the astral plane, he can read minds, telekinesis, and things. Mm -hmm. But over the years, his powers have really been portrayed as being more plot-driven than being an actual, this is what he can and can't do. And that's they can hand-wave so much of it by saying magic, but even the definition of what magic can and can't do in the Marvel Universe dr dramatically changes. I think at one point they said that magic uh, Magic can do anything that science cannot, which isn't completely accurate because science allows people to fly. Science allows people to shoot energy. But it's what basically his, his powers come down to whatever the plot requires them to do. So it'll be interesting to see how they do that in the films, whether or not they're going to try to apply a little bit more consistency or whether they're going to go with the kind of fast and loose version of his powers that were present within the comic books. So almost like the old... Uh the utility belt uh, plot device. Exactly. It's like, oh, what's in the utility belt? Ah, eh, don't worry about it. But it'll be helpful with the plot later. <laughs> he, he has the power of concentrated plotonium. Yes, yes, that's uh, that's a very, uh, very rare, very rare uh, power possessed only by him and several hundred other comic book characters. Exactly. How fast does Wolverine heal? He heals at the speed of plot. Yes. <laughs> uh, that's definitely a character we're going to have to tackle coming up. All right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, 
is especially after I watched the breakdown of that trailer yesterday. So. Oh yeah. Yeah, there's there's some good stuff, and it's actually something you and I talked about uh, mm-hmm. off air. So. And Kex was involved in that conversation too. Yes, he was. Kex is a very knowledgeable comic man, and yes, Kex, he is. Kex is a guy we got to have on too. So this we might we might have the the makings of a, a, a Titanic team up. There you go. Defenders too. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, make, it makes sense because Wolverine just shows up in every book ever, so yeah. he is the quintessential team up character. Yeah, he he's just he's what is he like every every team he's been on at least once. I th- I think so. <laughs> I mean, he was even in the new iteration of the Fantastic Four during that limited series, oh. where they decided to make them very '90s. It was, it was like Spider-Man, Hulk, uh, Ghost Rider, Ghost Rider, and Wolverine. Yep, exactly. So <laughs> wow, what a if team! We wa- if you wanted to do a dark and gritty reboot of the Fantastic Four, especially with characters that were very popular in the '90s, and it was Gray Hulk as well. Mm-hmm. All they needed to what needed to have was black-suited Spider-Man just to perfect it. Ah, oh, yeah. I loved black suited Spider Man. I did too. Alright, we're get, we're getting like way off topic. <laughs> so, so but that's our, the nature of comics. They're all kind of connected with each that other. That is true. Even with the newer comics, they um after twenty almost twenty years, they came out recently in October two thousand and five. Oh my god, I can't speak. October twenty fifteen, um, Jason Aaron, who did Thor and Original Sin, and then artist uh, Chris I'm gonna botch his last name back. Halo, who did Uncanny X-Men, they kind of bring Doctor Strange back. I know Marvel is trying to do like a rebirth, which DC is doing at the moment. And in the first couple of issues, it's it shows uh, Doctor Strange losing his powers, losing the magic. And it's I'm going to see if, I'm I'm curious to see if it, they're going to do something similar to that with the film. Well, especially if they tie his powers into the Eye of Agamotto, yeah. and especially if the theories are true. Mm-hmm. That that holds one of the Infinity Gems because mm-hmm. we know with a certainty Thanos is going to get a hold of all of them. You can't yeah. have the Infinity Gauntlet story without him having all of them. Correct. Right. Ashes, you had a you had a question. Well, I was just wondering. So, what would you recommend for people, much like myself, uh, who don't know who Doctor Strange is? Uh, what would you recommend? Like, what is the quintessential place to start um, learning about this character? Well, there's a lot of different ways you can kind of go into it. One of the way, one of the storylines that I point new, new readers to is because the older comic books can be a bit clunky to modern readers. I mean, need, it take You need LSD to really read those comic books. Well, well and it's also got <laughs> Stan Lee's very overwrought and very colorful language. And mm-hmm. the, sto- the stories were very dense. They would fit a lot of words into there. And they might be a little off-putting for modern readers. So I tend to point people in the direction of one of the best modern Doctor Strange stories, which is The Oath uh, by Brian K. Vaughn with art by Marcos Martin. And it's a very compelling story where it essentially has Doctor Strange's um, manservant Wong, uh, kind of tying into some of the more regressive elements of background of his character. Yes, he has an Asian manservant named Wong, <laughs> but uh, Wong is diagnosed with uh, terminal cancer. And for all of Doctor Strange's power, he lacks the ability to cure his best friend of this. Mm -hmm. And what we see him is him trying to track down this elixir that would cure anybody of anything. So it sort of balances the elements, the mystical elements of Doctor Strange's uh, background 
but also with one thing that I think a lot of people uh, overlook when they're adapting his character. Because for all of his arrogance of his past life, for all of his playboy attributes, he started life as a healer. And that is still very much part of his character to this day. Whilst his healing these days is done on a cosmic level, he still has an impulse towards wanting to help people. And it's a fascinating story. And one that has connections into the Marvel, uh, the current Marvel world. Because one of the characters he's interdu- or interacting with quite a bit in this storyline is Night Nurse. Who shows up in the Netflix series played by Rosario Dawson. Yeah, and in this, she's uh, in the film. She's uh, Rachel McAdam. Exactly. So, which just tells you right there that they are not going to tie in the Netflix series with the rest of the yeah. cinematic universe, which is kind of either that, kind either of that, bummer. or either that, or the character I th- we thought that she they were setting her up to be Night Nurse is just kind of two different people. Yeah. Because they did say that these these series do happen at this uh, concurrent with each other, and that you know they do interact, and they're supposed to be in a shared universe. Yeah, because you can in uh, some of the the art, like the promotional art um, for both Daredevil and Jessica Jones and uh, the Luke Cage show, you can see them standing kind of at a crossroads in Hell's Kitchen, and off in the distance, you see uh, Avengers Tower. Mm-hmm. And, you know, depending on which uh, promotional artwork you're looking at, uh, it's in a different spot. So it's almost like they're all heading towards uh, a convergence of sorts. Yeah. And the Rosario Dawson character that I'm looking it up, she plays the character Claire Temple, who, while has so many of the attributes of Night Nurse, she's not the um, the same as Night Nurse. She was a character that existed within... Um, the comic books herself, but is different from the character of Night Nurse. All right, so that there's still hope because I'm I'm really holding out hope that you know we'll see you know a, a crossover with you know uh, John Bernthal as the Punisher. And, yeah. because oh, I mean I could definitely see them uh, throw it in as a montage, but. The Punisher doesn't really work in the cosmic story of the no. uh, Infinity Gauntlet. It's, it's, ah, I'll, I'll show you, Galactus. I have a gun. <laughs> I well, hope, <laughs> hopefully what I think they'll they'll do is they'll do a second... Um, oh, what was the name of those mooks from the uh, Avengers? The guys are working with Thanos. Oh, the uh, Chitari? Chitari. Do a second Chitari invasion and then just do a montage of the, of the street-level guys fighting the Chitari. Or even, you know, what I would love to see, I don't know if they're going to do it, but one of the biggest plot points of the first, uh, the beginning of the uh, Infinity Wars was the uh, the doppelgangers, mm-hmm. which that would be cool because I love Spider-Man's doppelganger with the six arms. <laughs> <laughs> Whether or not they'll actually do that, that'll be interesting to see. Um, but even if yeah. they do it for the low-level guys, you know, like the <laughs> Jessica Jones, the the Luke Cage's Iron Fist, you know, just anything. Like if they can throw that those guys in, I, I think it would be awesome because I that, really enjoy that stuff. That feels like something that would show up in Agents of Shield. Uh-huh. I can just imagine um, the various uh, actors in that showing up with you know big fanged mouths, similar to uh, Thirty Days of Night. Yes, yeah, there you go. That might help the show get better. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I was such an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. fan, and then it just went downhill. So, 
See, and I actually like where Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is going, mm-hmm. um, at least with the latter seasons, mostly because they're Im- fully embracing the inherent ridiculousness of the Marvel Universe. Yeah, So no, they I could agree. do all this crazy, mad stuff. Yeah. Uh, I haven't been following much of this season because I dropped off because I've been focusing on watching horror movies this month. Yeah. And I'm still a little salty that they're doing the more recent version of Ghost Rider. Yeah, I wasn't too pleased about that, but I mean, it's it's not bad. I've seen like the recent episode, and it's good. It's bring just- back Nick Cage, damn it! <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's one of those that I'm such a homer for Ghost Rider in his motorcycle uh, mode, whether yeah. it be Johnny Blaze, whether it Dan be Ketch. Danny Ketch, yeah, all of those characters. And I was kind of hoping that since Marvel got their hands back on the Ghost Rider property, that they would do the Netflix thing and start exploring the horror-based elements of their universe Mm -hmm. in little miniseries, all leading up to one of my favorite teams in Marvel Universe, the Legion of Monsters. Oh, yeah. Which is such a cool story. (laughs) See, I was kind of hoping, you know, now that I know they can't do it now, but mm-hmm. I was hoping for kind of like a, now that Wesley Snipes is out of jail and like back into acting, you know, <laughs> maybe throw some Blade stuff in there. I mean, obviously, well, well, Ryan Reynolds can't be Hannibal King and Dare, uh, Deadpool, but... Sure he can. Yeah. Why not? in the Marvel Universe. <laughs> yeah. With uh, Legend, Legends of Monster. Wait, did I say that right? Uh, the Legion of Monsters. Le- yes. Is that with Elsa Bloodstone? Uh, she was initially part of, if I remember correctly, uh, don't... I might be getting her confused with her dad, but there was the group called the Night Stalkers in the in the early '90s. Fuck, I'm gonna have to look it up. Okay, she may she may have been part of the um, le- later incarnations mm-hmm. of the Legion of Monsters. Mm-hmm. The original team was Ghost Rider, uh, Mobius, the Living Vampire, um, or Morbius, uh, Man Thing, and Werewolf by Night. If I'm remembering correctly. All right, I'll have to look at that too because that. I've heard so many great things about it, so I wanted to get into that again. Yeah, that's one that I was completely un- unfamiliar with. <laughs> but uh, I think that's going to pretty much uh, wrap up the Doctor Strange talk for now. Uh, obviously, go see the film. Yes, go, so s- you go can see support the- Benedict. Yeah, you can see the difference between you know what we were talking about and like how closely it resembles the, uh, the comic storyline. So I think what we're going to do is uh, we're going to take a quick break and... When we come back, we'll uh, we'll wrap up this discussion, and uh, you know we'll uh, let you know what we're going to do next week. Word. All right. <laughs> so let's uh, let's head to break, Wolfie, and uh, we'll be back in a minute. Trick or Treat Radio is a phantasmagorical spin kick straight through the heart of pop culture, navigated by the Deadites. We are the world's greatest electroshock band, we destroy monsters, we drink booze, and we win championship belts. If you're not listening to Trick or Treat Radio, here's a taste of what you've been missing. There's three guarantees in life. What are they? Death, taxes, and Trick or Treat Radio every Friday morning. This is one of the most convoluted movies I've ever seen in my life. I'm fucking trying, man. Hi, hi, hi. Oh, yeah. Hey, hey, hey. Oh, yeah. It's like you took a shit on a pile of shit. But you shit on him right. for liking what he likes. Yeah, well, it's my job. This podcast is now banned in Germany. <laughs> it's me, Giovanni Lombardo Radici. Shut up. I call bullshit. I demand someone to bring me the face of Lindsay Lohan. If I had genitals, I would definitely 
bang her. Oh, wait. Is she a great big fan person? You just hit the jackpot. This is a weird movie, huh? It had action. It had suspense. It had great characters. It had great acting. I'm going to strangle you with my jockey shorts. I don't like mobster movies. All right, well, here's my take. You're a sick fuck. Thank you. Now shut the fuck up and let me talk. Have you ever seen 2001? The box, right? The box and the monkey. Available on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and TrickOrTreatRadio.com. Arrivederci, douche bags. Patrick Rayhall in the motherfucking house. Patrick Rayhall in the motherfucking house. Patrick Rayhall. Yeah. In the motherfucking house. What? Patrick Rayhall in the motherfucking house. You know, like I said, I, I was really trying to find a mouse costume so that when we saw everybody at Rock and Shack, especially Stephanie, that that was the first thing that that she saw actually uh patrick I, I think i found one that might be a little bit more appropriate for the show oh yeah let's let's hear, let's hear that one let's see if i can get this to play definitely man if you haven't checked out sherlock it's on instant all six episodes right now <laughs> season three hasn't started yet sherlock Holmes on BBC. sherlock Holmes on BBC. sherlock Solving crimes. Sherlock. Be a wicked smile. Sherlock Holmes. Oh, man. All the girls I know want to bang, bang, and come a bunch. Benedict, come a bunch. Benedict, there's a little remix there. Benedict, come a bunch. Benedict, come a bunch. Benedict Cumberbund. Benedict Cumberbund. What's his fucking name? Con. I'm pretty sure he said come a bunch. Actual name. What the fuck is this dude's name? Con. Benedict Cumberbund. Cumberbund. Ben a dick Cumberbunch. Benedict Cumberbunch. Benedict Cumberbunch. <laughs> Benedict Cumberbunch. Coming in a Cumberbunch. <laughs> Coming in a Cumberbunch. Spooge at the prom. <laughs> I I am never gonna say his name right anymore, and I love that man so much. I'm just gonna be like Cumberbunch. Come a bunch. That was that was the first podcasting experience I ever had. <laughs> oh my You're <God>. welcome, <laughs> Goro. Have Thanks, you ever heard that before? Radio. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> now he has episode sixty-eight of Trick or Treat Radio. Okay, All the boys okay. love Larry Fine. Nice, oh nice. <laughs> Man. That was tiny through a vocoder. He actually did a uh, review of Man of Steel through the vocoder. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> I love to hearing. Go back and listen to that one. I love hearing him laugh through the vocoder. He sang a song called "Kryptonite Circumcision." <laughs> That's the same episode. There was a. It was a post credits thing. That's where the uh, Patrick Rahal and the motherfucking house song came from. Yep. That's right. Oh man! Yeah, Damn it, I'm never gonna say his name right anymore. <laughs> right? And you're I'm never just... gonna look at a cummerbund the same way. No, I know I'm not. 
<laughs> Thanks everyone for ruining for ruining him for uh, me. <laughs> yeah, that's that's one of my <laughs> favorite favorite friggin' clips ever. Oh jeez. Uh but uh yeah, so um we're going to pretty much wrap up the show here, but uh what we've got is uh you know, we have been uh you know, lucky enough to be included in the uh, the horror pack reviews, or were you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was, uh, lucky enough. <laughs> I was really hoping that we were going to get the birdcage. <laughs> <laughs> if you guys haven't seen the unboxing, you'll if you do, you'll know know what she's talking about. Yeah, so watch the unboxing video because it's it's high comedy with uh, with Mars and uh, Monster <laughs> Zero. But uh, there were four movies, and uh, we were uh, given Scar 3D. Well, before we, I think before we delve into uh, a brief synopsis of the movie that we were so, (laughs) so graciously. Hashtag blessed. (laughs) Well, well, I did, I did find the one that probably fit the women in horror the best. No, you absolutely did. You absolutely (laughs) did. Um, Why don't you if if you would like uh give us a kind of like a brief you know synopsis what is horror pack um sure sure so our friends over at horror pack they sent us uh the the horror pack to check out to (laughs) to unbox and to check out so uh we did that and what i wanted to do was i wanted to across the network uh review films so already we've had unchained did saw five we received that in the horror pack uh obviously thread on thursday right now is is about to review scar 3d and Trick or Treat Radio, we are going to review Reanimator. Well, that was last night. That's right. We did it last night. What am I thinking? <laughs> You're going to do it again and again because you love that fucking movie. And I, I believe the Elm Street, they haven't done it yet, but I believe Elm Street is going to review Motivational Growth, another film starring Jeffrey Combs. So those are the four films we received in the August Horror Pack. And uh, what you guys can do is you can sign up for Horror Pack. Go to trickortreatradio.com, click on the Horror Pack logo. And sign up, you get four DVDs or Blu-rays sent directly to your house every month, basically for the cost of one. So if you choose the DVD package, I believe it starts at $17 a month. And the Blu-ray package, I believe, goes up to like $24, $25 a month. So depending if you sign up, you can go month by month. You can sign up for six-month blocks. You can sign up for a year. Uh, The longer you sign up for, the cheaper it is. Mm -hmm. And they have some pretty cool stuff. And if you guys right now sign up for an entire year... Ahead of time in advance, I think I believe they're giving away still a a cool steelbook version of Pan's Labyrinth. Ooh. So that's for everybody that signs up for twelve months at a time. But they have some really cool stuff going on. So if you guys want to receive four DVDs or Blu-rays directly to your door every single month, sign up for Horror Pack. They have some cool stuff. It's you know as you'll yeah, as you guys will probably find out, it's hit or miss. You're not going to get all classics. You know, there's going to be some good ones in there. There's going to be some, maybe some ones you don't like as much. But it's kind of like a, it's kind of like trick or treat every single month, right? Yeah. Well, we got a trick with this one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this was. uh, Uh, So it's a good thing that you get multiple movies in this pack because, uh, yeah, this one just just one good. (laughs) Um, I mean, I'm sure there there are folks who enjoyed this film and you know are. You know, very big fans of Angela Bettis, who was the star of this. She was she actually, was great. yeah, she, she was, was great. great. She was the sa- actually the saving grace and, of this movie. You know, acting powerhouse, perennial uh, Academy Award nominee Christopher Titus. 
I mean, don't get me wrong. I love his stand-up, and I thought his show was fantastic. But, uh, I don't know. He wasn't terrible in this, but it's just... No, no, it was kind of so, like casting so Wade Boggs in Swamp Shark. See, not so, not so <laughs> oh great God. in a uh, dramatic role. Um, so, yeah, uh, it, the movie is called Scar 3D. Uh, it comes with these great 3D glasses. If you but, don't watch it in 3D, it's just called Scar. Yeah, um, which, we, yeah, we didn't watch it in 3D, and I don't think 3D could have saved this movie anyways. So, yeah, it was just bad. It's just a really bad movie. It was. I mean, there were some, there were some pretty good... Uh, there was a nice jump scare that got uh, Agent Nicole to <laughs> shriek. Uh, she did. She she's not a huge like you know blood and guts stabby yeah, murder. She type did have person. to uh, close. I believe at one point her head was inside of her shirt. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I look over and I'm like, "Are you okay? It's really not that bad." She's like, "Tell me when it's over." Well, so. it was, there was like a lot of me- uh, medical instruments involved, and if, it, a couple weeks ago we talked about some of our fears and being cut open was one of them for me so just to see being cuts and probed yep. with whatever and basically no. <laughs> it was it was a, a a uh like the the plot is a pretty it's a pretty good story where you know this uh morgue worker is taking uh young women and girls and whoever else he can he can grab usually it's you know teenagers and he wait is this donald trump yeah, <laughs> he uh, he puts them in. You know, he straps them down onto a couple of morgue tables, and he starts cutting one. It's you know, a it's you know, playing a game. Yeah, and he says, "I'll stop cutting you. Just tell me to kill your friend." And some people hold out for a while, and some people don't. Um, but it's pretty brutal what he does to each one. Like it's pretty sadistic horror. The um, the premise of the movie, uh, really good. It was a really good idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, just the not, execution was bad, right? And the acting was horrible. Aside from the Angela lead, Bettis. yeah, she <clears throat> was actually pretty fantastic. But the writing wasn't bad. It was just the execution thereof. But it was it was one of those like, you know, there were so many tropes thrown at you, and it's like. You know, I was telling Wolfie earlier, I've seen more complex plots on Scooby-Doo. Like, <laughs> you know who the bad guy is going to be. You know who the victims are going to be. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like, oh, you should totally have sex with me right now because I'm not going to leave high school a virgin. Dead it's first. Like, two seconds later, the girl disappears. Like, mm, yeah, I didn't see that coming. And now her now boyfriend's like, hey, where'd you go? Come back. So, yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't executed that well, but it was a really good idea. And um, it had a little nostalgic feeling because they had razor phones, and I in high school had razor phones. Everybody was. I texting think, on I think we phones. were talking more about the technology that was yeah uh, brought you know, up <laughs> in the movie than was, the actual movie. There were a couple of really good scenes where you know Angela Bettis plays the survivor of you know this, and you know basically she has to she goes back to the town. You know where because she's visiting family because her family still lives in the town, and you know she's going back to essentially the scene of what happened, and she keeps having these traumatic flashbacks, and you know she goes to visit the morgue and finds that it's been turned into a museum with like you know the the outfit that the guy was wearing, some of the surgical implements that he was using, still with you know her and her friend's blood on them, and you know obviously she freaks out and. You know, 
people around her start getting killed and kidnapped, and of course she gets blamed for it because it's 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 not. There's no real suspense. Like, you know, we're sitting there and it's like, oh, this guy's dead. Hey, she picked up the knife and now she's covered in blood and she ran outside. But don't worry, the police are coming. It's like, yep, she'll be arrested in like two seconds. Hey, that guy over there, he's running away. Well, we're going to arrest you. No, he's running away. Go get him. It's like, yeah, but you're covered in blood holding a knife. Like, you're clearly the most obvious suspect. Yeah, so long story short, um, that was 90 minutes of my life that I can't get back. And it was a trick. Trick, trick, trick. But anyways, I think the idea of Horror Pack is fantastic. No, uh, I agree. You know, getting four movies, maybe some that you haven't... Like, I had actually never heard of Scar, so am I glad I watched it? Uh, sure. I mean, I, I like watching movies I haven't seen before, um, especially in the horror genre. I do enjoy a good slasher flick, which technically this kind of was. Um, but would I watch it again? Yeah, no, absolutely not. All right, I'm just going to read the synopsis on the back of this. It says, In the small town of Ovid, Colorado, Joan Burroughs, played by Angela Bettis, awakens in the basement morgue of Ernie Bishop, a local undertaker who secretly tortures, mutilates, and kills teenage girls. Before becoming Bishop's latest victim, Joan manages to kill him and escape with her life. Sixteen years later, and still bearing the scars of her torment, Joan returns to her hometown in time to see her niece Olympia be crowned prom queen now she wasn't <laughs> crowned prom queen she was crowned fish, fish queen, queen and she had to wear a fish costume so w- the worst prom since that. terry okay soon after joan's arrival murders by an alleged copycat killer begin targeting olympia and her f- and her girlfriends as the police investigation unfolds all clues lead back to the mentally fragile joan who must clear her name rescue olympia and confront the gruesome and barbaric killer before it's too late that makes the movie sound so much like better than it actually yeah. is. According to Radio Times, it is smartly written, fast-paced, and very gory. And you know what? I agree with all of that. And the tagline is, some wounds never heal. I mean, I can, I can see how some people would enjoy this, but when you're looking at it at a critical eye, it's just it wasn't that great of a film. So I think, with that being said, uh, we are going to bring this episode to a close. Uh, El Goro, thank you so much for coming on. And, of course, this uh, is a lot of fun. If you, uh, if you would like, we'd like to have you back next week uh, and discuss a character that I know you are uh, very much a fan of. A uh, guy by the name of El Santo. Have you ever heard of him? Well, if I must, I must. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, we're gonna, like I said, we're going to bring this uh, episode to a close. Goro, again, thank you very much, uh, and uh, we look forward to having you on next week. So uh, I think that's going to wrap it up. And uh, how many more times are you going to say we're going to wrap it up? Are, well, are we are we wrrapping this I'm up? I'm trying Patrick? to give Wolfie enough time to get the uh, the stuff. I'm trying to give him ample warning. Agent Nicole, are we wrapping this up? Yes, we're going to wrap it up right now. Are we wrapping right. it up? So, so we'll we will see, see you, you next, next Thursday. Thursday. Benedict, come on.